Our second reading tonight are the first ten verses of the book of Isaiah, chapter 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I was probably about six or seven years old when my, I think it was my mother, took me to the cinema to watch a film, and I can't remember what film it was, but the B feature that went with it was a South African film entitled Lost in the Desert. And I hated it. I was really scared by it, actually. It was the story of an 80-year-old boy who's on a plane journey across the desert, and the plane crashes, and the pilot is killed, and whoever else was on the plane with him is killed, and it's only he and the dog that survive. And the whole story is about them wandering around in the desert trying to stay alive while his father frantically makes every effort to try and track him down and rescue him. Uh, The film has a happy ending in the end. But I remember having a real sense of of my own frailty and mortality and and feeling quite vulnerable and thinking how fragile life is and, and how weak and frail we are while I watched it. I found it quite disturbing, a bit scary. I read the review on IMDb, just to remind myself about the film, and the the reviewer infused at the film, said, oh, what a wonderful film it was. He couldn't wait to take his eight-year-old and four-year-old nephews to see it. I hope he spares them what I found to be a really traumatic experience. Lost in the desert. That's a terrifying experience. The dangers there are all too real. 
You can die of thirst, heat exhaustion. There's the danger of being attacked by wild animals. Maybe just succumbing to the temptation to give up and lie down and die. Lost in the desert, no sense of direction, no idea how to get to safety. The desert is a hostile place. And if you're stranded there, the odds are you need rescuing to get out. You're not going to make it yourself. And such is the background to Isaiah 35. The underlying picture is one of having been abandoned, forsaken, left in a desert place. But God is coming to rescue and save you. The predominant image is of a desert being transformed from a wilderness of death into a garden of life, from a place of danger to a place of safety. The parched land bursting into life like a crocus in bloom, rejoicing greatly and shouting for joy as streams gush out of the dry ground, turning the burning sand into a pool and the thirsty ground into bubbling springs. Suddenly it becomes a good place to be. The natural order of things in which the sand instantly swallows up any water with which it comes into contact is reversed. God creates water where beforehand there was none. Water bubbles up out of the dry and thirsty ground and turns into pools and fountains of water. And what effects this dramatic transformation? It is the sight of the glory of the Lord and the splendour of our God. Notice the possessive pronoun there. It's our God. Our God that makes the difference. The knowledge that if I belong to God and the Lord belongs to me, then I can never be God-forsaken, even in the midst of a barren wilderness. So there's the summons not to give in to human frailty and fear. The people to whom these words are addressed are both demoralised and disabled. Their hands lack strength. Their legs have given way. Their hearts are paralysed with fear. They've given up. They can't see any future worth fighting for anymore. They've stopped listening to all words of encouragement because they don't believe them. They're so debilitated they cannot take another step and their mouths so parched they cannot utter another word. They have reached the end. And yet there is a call here for them not to give up. Strengthen those feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Speak strength into fearful hearts. Why? Because God is coming. God is coming with vengeance and with divine retribution to save them. Why vengeance and divine retribution? If I were lost in the desert, I'd rather have a bottle of water, a map and a compass, and at least a camel with not a frying carpet to get me to safety. Yet we're working in the realm of metaphor here. This is not a physical desert in which God's people find themselves, but it is a place in which they feel abandoned. In place in which, in which they find themselves powerless victims, either of circumstances beyond their control, or maybe even of deliberate, targeted justice, injustice and prejudice. What they need to know is that when God comes, he comes to take their part. God comes to stand alongside them. God comes to vindicate them against false accusations, 
to do the right thing by them, because at the end of the day, he is their God, they are his people, and he will stand up for them against all comers, because they belong to him. So they're not to give up. So if you have that relationship with God where he belongs to you and you belong to him, don't you give up. Others may have forsaken you, but he will never do so. Others may have accused you, but he will stand at your side. Rescue is on its way. And in the meantime, it's vital that you don't give in to the fear and the exhaustion and the despair of it all. If you belong to God and God belongs to you, those words, be strong, do not fear, they're not empty words of encouragement that simply postpone the inevitable negative outcome. They bring real hope. Because if you belong to God, he will never abandon you. Rescue is on its way. And when that help comes, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame person will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. These are all pictures of physical healing. Sometimes God's deliverance can take that form. It's no coincidence that if you read the gospel accounts of the ministry of Jesus, you'll see him doing exactly this kind of thing. Making blind people see. Unstopping the ears of the deaf. Healing the lame so that they can walk. Enabling the dumb to speak. Jesus comes in fulfilment of this promise of Isaiah because in Jesus, God comes to rescue his people to save his people, to be with his people. Yet again, we're still working in the realm of image and metaphor here, all this body language, just as the desert symbolizes abandonment. So the restoration of these faculties symbolizes the restoration of relationships. Because if you can't see and you can't hear, and you can't speak, and you can't move. Those kind of disabilities cut you off from other people. They are dreadfully isolating. All means of communication is gone. Your isolation is complete. You can't see another person's face or smile or know that they are there or recognise them. You can't hear any words of kindness or love or support or encouragement or guidance. You can't communicate with them yourself to say, this is who I am, this is what I need, this is what I feel, this is what I want you to do for me. You don't have the strength to leave this place where you are totally alone and go to where other people might be. No sight, no speech, no hearing, no movement. But it is into this place of emotional solitary confinement that Jesus comes to set people free. To open eyes so that people can see the love and kindness in other people's eyes towards them to open their ears so that they can hear and receive what is being spoken to them. 
to open their mouths so that they can begin to articulate what's happened to them and how they feel about it. And though the the NIV talks about shouting for joy here, that's not the point being made. It is the ability to shout at all, to get words out, to break the silence that's being celebrated here. And that person who has been socially isolated or emotionally paralysed suddenly finds the ability to begin again to move under their own steam, to stop being completely passive, to start to take charge of their own life again. People find themselves emotionally isolated in desert places for all sorts of reasons. But many people find themselves there because they've learned they can't trust anybody else. Perhaps because they've been abused in the past from other people. Whether that abuse was physical or emotional or even sexual, has that effect of making people shut themselves away, withdrawing completely into themselves, unable to speak of what has happened, unable to move on, too scared to look at other people and make contact with them, or to hear what they have to say. And it is to such people in that place of extreme emotional vulnerability that this passage speaks of God coming. Coming to bring strength where there has been no strength. Coming to bring courage in place of fear. Coming with vengeance and divine retribution to take their part and put things right. To bring streams of water in the deserts of our hearts to banish the unclean jackals and the scavengers and let grass and reeds and papyrus grow in their place, to turn a desert into a meadow. God also comes to bring his people home, to come to those lost in the desert and build a road for them to walk on, a pathway that is safe from every unclean or wicked or stupid person who might cause them harm, deliberately or accidentally. There are no wild beasts or lions on this highway to threaten to destroy their lives. It is the way of holiness. Only the redeemed of the Lord will walk on this path, and those whom the Lord has ransomed will come home, entering Zion, God's dwelling place, with songs of gladness, sorrow, and the sighing, and the tears of the wilderness will flee away and instead everlasting joy will crown their heads. And that might seem like an impossible dream if you are alone in the desert at the moment. Yet nothing is impossible for the God who comes to rescue his people. And the good news of Advent is that our God comes. He comes to save us. We don't need to be afraid of him. Look at how he comes. He comes as a tiny, helpless baby placed in a manger in Bethlehem 
one with us in our weakness and our frailty, our vulnerability and our mortality. Yet he comes to ransom and redeem us. These are words that speak of God coming to our rescue. They speak of God pulling all the stops out. No price too high, no cost too great for God to pay to bring us safely home. When he grew up, Jesus spoke of himself as the Son of Man who came to give his life as a ransom for many. You wonder how it is that you could ever be in a position of knowing that God is your God and that you belong to him? Jesus came to make that true for each one of us. He came for you because he loves you so much there is nothing in the world he wouldn't do to save you, even to the point of laying down his own life on a cross to take our pain, to take the evil we've suffered, the damage that's been inflicted on our lives, all that we have inflicted on others, to enter that place of God-forsakenness and aloneness and abandonment and die our death. Yes, it's that baby in the manger in Bethlehem who came to give his life as a ransom for you, that you might be redeemed, that you might belong to God, that you might find your place on that highway, making your way home, and that God would give you the strength to keep on going in the knowledge that you belong to him and he comes to rescue you. There is no flying carpet out of the wilderness to a five-star luxury hotel. But he does build a road for us to enable us to find our way back to safety, to where we should be. And the journey may be long and painful and difficult, but he walks that journey with us because he's Emmanuel. And he will keep you safe until you reach the place of healing where sorrow and sighing can be replaced by joy and gladness. And as you make that journey, you do not do so alone. God is with you and God's people walk that path with you as well. Others who will share the journey, who can be there with you and there for you as you begin to tell your story and find that you are not alone. There are those who will speak words of love and mean them. There are people on duty tonight in the prayer team who are willing to do just that, to listen and to talk and to pray. You might want to talk to me or Jack or another Christian whom you know and who you think you can trust. But listen to Isaiah's message to us. Don't give up. God is there. He's coming for you. You belong to him because he gave his son to redeem you. Don't give up. Cry out to him. He will come to rescue you because you belong to him. You belong to him and he belongs to you.
That's why Jesus came.